I always make sure that my students go away with this following understanding. The right answer to any question is it depends. What you are learning uh, throughout your life is what it depends on. Welcome to Outliers. This is a podcast with outliers, like we keep saying. And uh, I'm really excited to sit down with uh, Professor Avindran of IIT Madras today. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Professor. Thank you, Prakash. Uh, for those of you, uh, I'm, I'm sure a lot of you have read the story we did on about him and reinforcement learning. Uh, since then, we've been getting a lot of... Uh, questions. Every time we meet a bunch of people, they would ask us more about either <laughs> Professor himself or uh, questions around AI. Uh, and uh, I thought we could use this conversation to make sense of uh, AI with a pure India lens. Uh, you know, take your help, Professor, to ask some right questions or find answers. So just to kick this off, uh, what do you make of the, you know, there's a lot of paranoia, right? You, you go around meeting people in IT sector or even otherwise, uh, man versus machine, now AI is going to eat every job. How do you set the context? How, how should anyone look at AI? Okay. AI is in some sense a disruptive technology. So and as with any disruptive technology, when you're going to introduce it, there is going to be a change of job roles, right? I'm not going to call it loss of jobs. There have been enough reports written from Gartner and other sources that people talk about how the landscape of jobs is going to change. And there are as many new jobs that are going to be created by AI as there are going to be lost. Right? So it's, I would say that it's going to just be uh, you know, moving around of things, right? And it's not going to be limited to the IT sector. So we should be very clear about that. So one of the reasons why there should be a slightly greater awareness and agility in India is that for whatever reason, India has you know, become a place where people outsource a lot of repetitive jobs, like you know, BPOs and other kinds of things. And those are the ones that are under quote-unquote threat. Right, from AI, because AI is good at doing these kinds of repetitive things. In fact, in machine learning, when we teach machine learning, we say that unless there is a pattern, you can't discover it. And in, in this case of repetitive jobs, there's always a pattern, right? So these are the ones, maybe not, not tomorrow, right? Maybe 10 years down the line, right? These are the ones that are likely to be replaced by automated machines, right? And therefore, we have to figure out what are these people going to do, right? It's not that they are going to become AI engineers. Not, not at least not all of them anyway. Right? They might not have the right skill sets for doing that, but then they have to figure out what would be the appropriate uh, jobs that they're going to go to. Maybe they can become uh, labelers, professional uh, data 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 set creators. You know, I mean that. But I, mean, I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud here, right? I mean, we, we are not clear what would be the new job roles. I think that's going to evolve over the next few years, right? So that is one part of the question, right? So how is AI going to impact the other sectors? Right, what kind of jobs that are going to change and all right? And the same thing happened when industrial revolution happened, right? So, <laughs> so every time there's a disruptive technology, some set of people right, have to reskill and move 
And then there is a second question that I have to ask, in, especially in the Indian context. Since most of us, right, the, the economy, right, the large fraction of the economy is driven by IT now. Right? I don't know exact numbers. <laughs> I'm pretty sure still the manufacturing sector is ahead of IT. Is it right? Do you know? It is, actually. But then if you look at the absolute job creation, mm -hmm. I think the IT, IT would have would done more. better. Yeah. Okay. But the, the, the point here is that uh, it's large IT sector, right? And they are the ones that we are going to look to for building our AI solutions. And uh, so what is it that they have to do to change? Right? Not like you're going to not need programmers anymore, right? So we are still going to need programmers, but we might not need people who are programming mainframes, right? We might need people who are you know, more proficient at going to the cloud. Right, writing writing uh, solutions on the cloud. We might need people who are more proficient at writing solutions on the edge. You know, for your phones, it could be app developers, or it could be more on embedded systems like you know a Raspberry Pi or things like that. And they are going to need them in all sectors, right? So whether it is just CS or whether it is cars, right? So everyone talks about automated driving, but then it's not talking about automated driving. You need people who can write code that can sit on the car, right? So let's look at. Uh... So, so when automation came in, not AI, mm -hmm. in the you know, IT sector and other sectors, we saw a kind of democratization of IT in the sense mm -hmm. that people with non-IT backgrounds, mm -hmm. you know, started doing those job roles that mm -hmm. were traditionally meant for pure coders or engineers, mm -hmm. right? Sure. What is, I mean, when you talk about AI and the potential new job roles, who those people are going to be? Uh, is there kind of a democratization we are going to see wherein, it, I mean, this is not only about engineers. Or is, could there be more? So AI is very pervasive. So one of the things that we have been talking about is, in fact, we had this discussion yesterday, like I was telling you, uh, where we looked at how AI can help, say, lawyers, hmm. right? How AI can help uh, doctors, how AI can help economists. Right? There are so many things that we can do. Right? I mean, you know, we know the data analytics now, uh, all economists have to be data analysts, right? But how can AI go further? Is there something else that you can do that simple, you know, regression fits and other things can't do? So we have to educate them, educate them about the possibilities of AI happening. And what's going to happen is there is going to be a democratization there. Some amount of AI has to be automated so that these people, right, who are, like you said, non-IT, not non-technical people, can still explore the use of AI. And once that starts happening, maybe you... You know, there is a class of jobs which becomes democratized. Maybe I become much better at using uh, NLP tools, right? Because I've given you a very convenient interface for using NLP to query, say, your history of cases, right? So those kinds of things are going to happen. I think we're still in a little bit of early ages, uh, early days, sorry, uh, where the, um, uh, talking about automation of certain kinds of uh, AI related jobs right so by and large the biggest problem with AI right now is uh, performance tuning right so anybody who works in AI knows the hell that you get into right the, the, for tuning hyperparameters right? in fact a couple of my students have gotten to calling it the hyperparameter hell <laughs> so because you change things very 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 slightly right and performance seems to vary widely right so these things are not at ready to really go out into the world unaccompanied <laughs> right so you really need the, uh, the engineers to make sure that things are running properly and then 
so on and so forth. Right? But I, I completely agree with you. And uh, in fact, that is the direction people have been thinking about for a while now. Right? So there are uh, um, you know groups in the US and in Europe who work at making AI accessible to everybody. Right? So there's this, uh, people who talk about AI for artists. The idea here is, I mean, quote-unquote, an artist is as far away from an engineer as you can get. I don't agree with that. But, uh, so, but then if you can build systems that an artist can interact with, fine-tune, and build a meaningful AI out of, then you're basically getting it to a point where you don't need uh, to be a technician. Or right? you don't need to be an artist? No, you need to be an artist. The artist is not going to get the AI to paint for him. Artist is not getting the AI to write for him. The artist is doing that. There might be other things that the artist can do to help him with that process. Right. So, the, uh, and so that is that is the that's the goal. I mean, if you want, there are so many things that you can use AI for doing small small automation stuff and things like that. Right. So you can use, for example, take Alexa. Right. So you can use Alexa to increasingly automate more and more of your life. Right. And if you think about it, Alexa is. Is a tunable AI engine that's sitting with you that's doing auto-tuning, right? It's learning from interacting with you. And in some sense, you are programming it, right? Regardless of what you do, right? By giving it appropriate feedback and then you are making it uh, adapt to yourself, right? So if, if there is, I, I know you are a professor, so a student-like question. Uh, if there is someone who is about to get into, plunge into a career in, in any sector for that mm -hmm. matter, and as a savvy student, looking at everything, <laughs> reading stories about AI and everything, uh, what would you advise anyone looking to build a next generation career? Uh, it, should they care about AI now? Or like you're saying, uh, 10 years from now? What are, not just a skill set, but is, is there, I don't know, what, what can anyone do about it? See, I have been... A big advocate of saying that people should have like AI appreciation, right? So that is it. Uh, they might not need to know the deep techniques that are there, uh, but at least they should know what is potentially possible in their chosen line of work, right? Where uh, some amount of AI and automation can help them, right? So in fact, I'm saying AI and automation together because. Quite often, you might be able to get what you want, what you think you need from AI, just by cleverly structured automated uh, tools, right? So, but then if you go back and if you look at the history of AI, if you write a huge set of uh, if-then-else rules, that is AI. Right? <laughs> this kind of rule processing, efficient rule processing, the techniques all come from the early work in AI, right? So even though we don't think of those as AI anymore. So people who come and study in your classes, of course, you, you, you teach them a certain set of things, but what what do you want them to do? Or what, what do you give them beyond what is there? I mean, how, how do you prepare them for, for the future? So one of the main things, I mean, whatever course I teach, right, uh, I, I always make sure that my students go away with this following understanding. The right answer to any question is it depends. What you are learning uh, throughout your life is what it depends on. 
right so that is something that uh, the question is there is no clear cut answers and you should always be learning always be you know looking for uh, ways in which things can be different right so so if, if somebody tells you okay if the question is a the answer is b then you have to ask okay when is the answer b and when is it not b right that's what i mean by saying it depends right that will always be some other hidden assumption so you have to figure out what those are so that is something which i want to leave my students i know this is a very philosophical answer but uh, you you asked me about teaching philosophy my teaching philosophy is that the students shouldn't be told that these are the answers they should be told that hey this is the question these are the factors that determine the answers and for these factors this this might be the answer this factor this might be the answer but there might be other factors that might change your answer so you have to be sure that you understand all of those and it it it's doesn't matter what you're teaching that is philosophical but yeah i think it's important it's very important that's a, yeah. that's a skill that i want my students to take away from my courses because they should not think that things are written in stone right so knowledge is evolving so the more you know the better the answers are at some point you're going to say okay i know enough and you know to stop and then just apply stuff so right? but what is your goal I, 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 i know i know you didn't expect that but no i did yeah. i did in fact most of my conversations around ai with people who are doing things they turn very philosophical <laughs> so yeah i mean i know this when i teach operating systems it's not ai okay it's on anything i think the answer is people should keep a open mind they should not think that okay this is the only right way to do things so what is your holy grail professor i mean so things that you do one is of course you teach uh-huh. then i have also recently seen this drive to create awareness or participate in in forums to to help people make sense but but what just put everything aside uh-huh. let me ask this to professor abindran right what do you really want what are you seeking if you are hmm now it's my turn to give you philosophy <laughs> yeah this is really deep philosophy yeah and of course i'm not allowed to say world peace right <laughs> you can say anything that so um, that, so what i see there are a couple of things right so i love to teach i'm an educator at heart right but i am also a researcher right these two roles are not one and the same and they are not mutually exclusive either right as far as education is concerned of course i love to teach i, I like to train students but what i'm seeing now is that we are at a cusp right and i think i think we should do more than just you know teach students i think we have a responsibility so people who have you know who, who are in a position where we have access where we have reach I, i think we have a responsibility to make sure people understand what's going on but if we keep quiet AI researchers, if we keep quiet and they are just happy teaching students and publishing papers, uh, that's going to be a lot of. But the people who want to talk are going to take take away and run away with the story. In fact, this is not something I am hundred percent my thinking. Uh, the AI associations, right? The global AI associations have been saying the same thing as well, right? In the past, when AI summers happened, you know, you, you have heard about the summer and winter cycles in AI, right? So when the AI summers were happening. right the narrator quickly ran away from the researchers right so there was a lot of hype extreme hype not something which academicians wouldn't have ever you know 
been able to pull off by themselves you know there's a lot of other factors were at play it could be government could be whatever right so i think we should make sure that we have at least some semblance of control over the narrative this time and that is the reason you find me trying to go out and talk about ai in other places just to make sure that people understand what is happening right so i'm going to continue doing that uh, mainly because i feel a sense of responsibility to do that right uh, but what i really want to do is go back to more research I mean, still we are doing a lot of research uh, but uh, the 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 progress is slow you know and as with any uh, thing so at some point of time uh, i would really like to see an ai right uh, which lives and works with humans seamlessly right and uh, is able to adapt right and is not i mean so i i allow reinforcement learning right but i'm not married to reinforcement learning to the extent that i will say that that's a solution to every problem you are going to face any true ai is going to be an amalgamation of many 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 different techniques right uh, so and uh, not just machine learning it's going to have a lot of ai also built into it the classical ai reasoning planning logic all of these abstractions are needed at some point right so if you are going to expect an ai to communicate with a human right it can't be in terms of vectors and numbers it has to have abstracted logic at some point of time to be able to communicate with humans and and to work in a uh, same workspace as humans uh, you need the ai to be able to communicate otherwise it's not going to work right we are far from that yeah far from that yeah far from that So that kind of reality will happen only, I don't know, maybe a few decades from now. You see that happening in your lifetime. I in. <laughs> I know, sir. In in my in my son's lifetime. Yeah. I'm not sure about my lifetime. Maybe if if medical technology advances enough to prolong their life a few more. <laughs> <laughs> Final couple of questions, professor. Sure. The other thing, you know, people talk about biases. So so as more uh, learning systems come in. and and there there's more dependability on those systems mm-hmm. for making decisions mm-hmm. and and the, these path to ai overall uh, if that all it is uh end of the day it's humans who are building them or you know so so you would expect and we people are already talking about this right the biases that creep into these systems how much of your time or your energy you know how, how much you really think about this or is it really a concern the biases <coughs> it's been smooth don't worry mm-hmm. yeah, only two interruptions perfect no, i i had to wait till you finished your question before they i know you me only uh so let me put it this way mathematically some form of bias is the cornerstone of all machine learning mathematically this is not what humans understand as bias okay uh, uh so but the problem is a lot of data that we give to the machines they are biased because we are talking about humans who have done the labeling for the data right i'm not talking about doing labeling on mechanical turk or one of those platforms that you should show like 15 images to a person ask him to pick out things right i'm talking about data let's say load decisions in a bank 
somebody has decided in the past so the bank comes to and tells us hey we have this 30 year history of all these things can you build a predictor now that will tell me whether i should give a loan to a guy who comes in or not right and now if i feed the data without an understanding of what is the bias in the data the humans have introduced i'm going to learn a decision maker which is going to mimic the humans fine but then humans put the ai to a higher ethical standards than themselves and then while they would not blame their system for having been biased in the past they are happy to turn around and say oh your ai is not giving enough loans to single mothers <laughs> so bias is a problem but for not for reasons you think it's because humans are biased the ai becomes biased so now we have to figure out how to make this non biased right so a lot of work is happening in that i have a couple of colleagues in iitm and other places in, in even in india who are doing a lot of very very interesting work on looking at bias in machine learning i personally don't do don't work in that space uh, probably because reinforcement learning which is my core area typically does not rely too much on human inputs right therefore uh, uh, this is not too much of an issue in my case uh, but then uh, like i said right i i i would like to use uh, all forms of learning and finally in building an agent so this is a very valid issue for ai doctors especially if you need ai to get out right uh, so i wrote an article sometime back on on all these issues that are ai would face and bias was one of the or i i, I called it fairness fairness was one of the questions that uh, i think ai needs to address before they are happy to let it out in the wild you you are quite prolific when it comes to research papers and all that one of the questions i always wondered i mean you could definitely do more you would agree but one of the questions i always wondered is how do you balance uh, like like teaching with research and now with the additional thing of you you know trying to create awareness and things like that would you not do just one thing or do you think a lot of bright minds uh get you know it, it, it's about using your time right so yep. won't you do just one thing you you think that's a problem in 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 balancing or how do you answer that question well i'm getting older so so i have to look at evolving roles uh, but uh, the thing is uh, so <clears throat> as an individual researcher right uh, there is so much i can do but if i build a research ecosystem in my group where students continue working with you know occasional guidance from me but then there are senior students who work with the new new students and you build this whole ecosystem and then right now at it metras we are at a place where we have a very fairly large machine learning group right and my students go to other faculty members and seek their inputs as well and other people students come to me and seek my input so we have a more uh, you know free model in which we are looking at things and suddenly sometimes we might have you know my student goes and talks to some other faculty members he gets interested then so we have a collaborative project right so those kinds of things happen so once you have a vibrant research ecosystem right you are you are able to do lot more right so our group is fairly large so now we have the center where we have more than 20 plus faculty members from many different uh, departments who are part of it 
Uh, in fact, about half my research scholars are not even computer science students now. So I joined the advice of many people from other departments. So, so this allows us to have a good research output. It's, I can't claim 100% ownership of most of the work that's coming out of our group because uh, either we have collaborators or uh, we have students who have been driving it much more uh, uh, focused way than I can. So some little bit of intensity of research has dropped. It's inevitable, right? Uh, but teaching is something I enjoy doing, right? And uh, somehow I find time for it. And largely I have been teaching machine learning and reinforcement learning subjects related to that area, right? So it's easier. I don't have to. It's not like I have to. Well, I, I did teach first year programming, but uh, you just need a completely different mindset for it, right? Not. I, I, I kid you not. I mean, since there are, you know, people who are making a transition in learning styles and things like that. So first year kids, you have to, you know, uh, talk to them differently, right? slightly differently. Uh, but then uh, that is that's fun. So uh, it keeps uh, like uh, you know, you know, Feynman used to say whenever he you know he feels a little uh, frustrated in research, he'll go teach, especially teach, you know undergrads and people who come with a fresh outlook to things. So they kind of jog you in ways, I mean, they push you in ways that you never imagined earlier. And then he comes back completely refreshed to doing research. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's that helps. So teaching is something that's very, very important. In fact, uh, yeah, so I'm uh, going on this uh, retrospective and prospective uh, of RL right now. So I'm teaching a course on topics in RL. So what I'm doing things is I'm pulling out really old papers and pulling out really new papers, things like come out like last year or this year, and then you know covering both side by side to let people see, hey, look, these are things that have been done and you know people are reinventing the wheel. So these are the ways in which the old stuff can influence the new and that gives it, that's giving us a lot of new ideas to look at. So, so these kinds of so research, I mean, uh, teaching can help your research also, right? So that's fine, and uh, of course the other part is I have to find time from somewhere, and, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's, it's it's a little hard, but uh, I think you are right. I think teaching, like you said, it jogs or you know you get some questions asked. <clears throat> a final question, I think it's a googly. <laughs> uh, how would you explain? AI or even RL for that matter to, I don't know, not five-year-old, but maybe 10-year-old uh, with the context that it truly deserves. I don't, I don't know how, if, if you have done this before. Hmm. I haven't quite tried five-year-olds. I've tried 15, but... Uh, yes, that's a good start. Tell me I, I've, I've done this too. I've done this and for school kids, right? So I start off by asking them to think about what is intelligent. What is intelligence? Like, what would you call intelligence? Right? And uh, so we start off with uh, simple questions like, hey, playing chess, you know, does that make you intelligent? Right? The answer is, most likely the answer is yes. Right? Everybody will say, yeah, of course, yes, I play chess well, I'm intelligent. Then I tell them, hmm, okay, this is how a computer plays chess. Right? Would you call that intelligent? Then people go, hmm. Is that really how it does that? You know, is it just doing this, building this tree-like structure, you know, this position, it looks ahead. Hmm. Now, would I call it intelligent or not? You know, the kids are very, 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 very 
very smart that age, right? I mean, they are still not had all their biases put in. Right? So they start thinking about it. Hmm. They say, no, I don't think it's intelligent. Most probably that's the answer that people come up with. They tell people how AI systems, I don't call them AI, I say computers. They tell them how computers play chess. He said, hmm, that doesn't look intelligent to me. <coughs> then we keep doing conversation. Okay, what else is intelligent? Do you think, you know, going to the market and buying some items within the money that you have in your purse, is that intelligent? Right? And then you go back and tell them, no, this is actually considered a very hard problem for a computer to solve. It's like this optimization problem. So you have to write all these things. Hmm. Okay, so that's how you do, that's how you teach kids. Have a conversation with them, throw up problems like this. Right? And the last question I asked them, I show you three pictures. Can you tell me which is a boy, which is a girl, and uh, which is a toy? Yeah, it's basically a picture of a stuffed bear or something like that. And then, oh, that's easy. Right? Then they say, okay, there's a boy, there's a girl. And, and then, uh, well, this is something extremely hard for computers. And something this falls under AI. And people go, oh, wow. And then I tell them, okay, what, else, what is actually involved in the process of recognizing these things? Right? And then, so this is how I would do that. Right? So keep it, make them appreciate what is happening. Right? Through examples, through things which they can relate to immediately and not jump into saying, oh, AI is, you know, trying to imitate human intelligence and stuff like that. At that point, kids don't even have a notion of what is intelligent, right? This is the reason why you have to ask them those questions. What? Why do we call it artificial? Is it because humans have termed it? <laughs> it's called artificial intelligence because you're not really sure that this is how nature builds intelligence, Right. But I don't think Turing called it artificial intelligence. Turing had the question, can machines think? Right? So I don't think he called it artificial intelligence. Artificial intelligence kind of evolved over time in the, in the late 50s. Right? With, uh, uh, right? So some people don't like the term artificial intelligence. They like to call it machine intelligence. Right? But for good or bad, AI has stuck. Right? And as I have been the butt of jokes for a long time, oh, we don't need AI, we are all naturally intelligent. Maybe you need AI. Yeah, so, yeah, I, I don't know, it's, a, it's, it's nothing to it other than it's a term that has stuck. So people have tried alternatives like uh, like machine intelligence and uh, so on and so forth. So, but uh, yeah, Good. So it's, it, it's artificial in the sense that it is something that humans have constructed, right? Uh, and uh, not necessarily mimicking nature. Right? We, we mean, we try to solve problems the way uh, which which humans solve, right? Not necessarily the way the humans solve it, right? I don't know how my brain, in fact, I don't even know how my brain solves things, right? So it's not like, even though we talk about neural networks and uh, deep learning supposed to mimic layers in the, in the brain and stuff like that, uh, it's not at all clear that uh, there is any direct biological corporate or things like that. Therefore, it is artificial in that sense. <laughs> Right. So, of course, you don't. Things will get. You'll get used to it at some point. You don't look at a plane out there and call it artificial flight anymore. Yeah. But they did call it artificial flight. Oh. So then maybe we are in that state. Okay. Cycle. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Professor. So good talking to you, and we'll keep this alive. Take care. Take care.